Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I hope everybody's doing well this wonderful Thursday afternoon. Um, I will be going live with Cognitive Vigilance if you're watching this live in about two hours. Um, it's going to be an interesting show. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> the uh, angle that we're going to that I'm going to personally take after this conversation. Um, we're having somebody who is a mother in a polyamorous family on. So um, if that seems to tickle your fancy, then feel free to listen to that. If not, um, today on the show, we are going to be talking about white rural, white rural rage. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Um, what is it about? I haven't read the book. Um, I think it's just coming out, but um, there was a clip that's going around on Twitter. So I kind of want to discuss that. And then some uh, of the other takes that I've seen on uh, the whole Make America Great Again movement, if you will. Um Check out the conversation I had with Tommy Sammons yesterday. Uh, that was kind of a last minute decision on my part or because my guest had canceled, but uh, he rescheduled for next week. So next week, look forward to the show with Jay Dyer. But um, yeah, that was a very, very interesting show. We went super, super deep on religion and stuff like that. Um, a lot of very, very like intense <laughs> um, stories, stuff like that. Uh, Tommy's just a wealth of knowledge and probably one of my best friends that I've uh, gotten over the course of doing this podcast over the last two years. So um, I guess I should tell you now, you should hit the like button to subscribe. I'll leave a review if you're listening on some audio podcatcher, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. Um, I appreciate all that and I appreciate everybody hanging out with me right now and listening. Um, go to drinklmnt.com slash in liberty and health to get yourself some electrolytes and as well get yourself a free, I think it's a nine pack of electrolytes with a couple different flavors. Um, tigerfitness.com at the link below to get all your protein and all that. They have the protein pre-orders going on right now. I believe they're supposed to be shipping um, within a week or so, and they have really, really awesome flavors. Uh, I have a couple of them kind of sitting right there. I think that's the cookie, the chocolate chip cookie. I want to say that's the peanut butter fluff, and that's the birthday cake right there. Um, and for those watching, I'm just pointing all over my room, so don't really, really worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. And then, of course, Fox & Sons Coffee. Um, make sure you go to foxandsons.com and use code Kyle at checkout to let Steven know I sent you and get some awesome coffee. And as I said yesterday, um, to paraphrase our dear friend Tommy Sammons, take that BBC and put it in your mouth. So, uh, yeah, I won't keep you guys any longer in this portion of the show. Let's go. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being i hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests we're on all major streaming platforms so please sit back relax and enjoy man i'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13 year old son on leg day <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. All right. What's up? What's up? My dog just went barking downstairs, so hopefully he doesn't continue to bark and ruin the audio quality, although, you know, maybe it's already after. I don't know. <laughs> Hope everybody's having a fantastic day, as I said earlier. Um, it's almost Friday if you're listening to this live, and if you're not, then I hope whatever day it is of the week for you that you're uh, enjoying your day. Um, white rural rage. So for those who don't know, um, I've grown up in southwestern Pennsylvania since I was a kid. Um, I lived in Ohio in Fairview Park for about a year and a half, which wasn't quite nearly as rural as uh, Pennsylvania as I was pretty close to Cleveland, about 
15, 20 minutes away from the city. So um, I didn't think where I lived was all that rural until I started to kind of get out and about and talk to other people. Specifically, since I started this podcast, I started to talk to a lot more people who were from cities and less rural areas. And I realized like, okay, well, maybe when there's a farm, not even five minutes that way. And then, you know, cows this way, a turkey farm, you know, a couple of minutes away from me, then, okay, maybe I am a little bit more rural than I thought, but not to say that I live out in the literal middle of nowhere. I mean, it's just a very, very small town. I think literally when you're driving into my town, it says like America's first steel town or something like that. So, you know, there's literally a factory over the hill. But um, the reason why I'm giving this whole pretext here is because we're going to be talking about white rural rage and people who, in particular, in this video that we're going to listen to, um, talk about people who vote for Trump and um, kind of how this book is betraying them. And I want it, to, it's so silly to me because I, I think a lot of people are very, very ignorant of other people and how they are. So I know that sounds super vague, but like, I think that the right half of America really doesn't talk to the left half of America and like the rural people don't really go into cities because that's not their deal. And the people who live in cities don't go to the rural areas because that's not their deal. Is there an inherent problem with this? No, I don't think so really. But I think the problem comes when you get this government and this culture war that's so inflamed and has so much influence over our daily lives and our perception of our daily lives. That's another important detail to put in there that um, I, I think people feel very, very compelled to do something and to speak about these issues because they feel like they need to bring the culture or the political world more towards their alignment um I, i've heard a lot of christian people say that the battles that are going on specifically the wars are not um political or physical but they're spiritual and i'm going to be honest my initial reaction to that was to be a little bit revolted and disagree with it but the more i think about it the more i kind of understand and um make sure you go listen to counterflow with buck johnson because this is kind of what spurred this line of thinking this morning um, he had, I, I don't remember the lady's name, but she was very, very well educated and specific when it comes to like geopolitics, when it comes to like Ukraine and Russia. And she also talked about a little bit of Israel and Gaza as well. But uh, it was the most recent episode that Buck did. Um, oh, you know what? I should pull this up for you guys sure, just so that way I don't get this wrong. Um, but yeah, make sure you go listen to the shows that I've done with Buck as well, because he's a very, very fantastic friend of mine. Um, Spiritual Warfare, America and Russia with Christine Lynn. So make sure you go check that out. Um, I was listening to that this morning, didn't make it the whole way through, but uh, a very, very enjoyable episode. But um, the example that they brought up to make the point of the foreign policy ventures being spiritual is that um, in Ukraine, they chased out a bunch of Russian priests and... And I might be mistaken this, but I know they chased priests and people out of a specific church in Ukraine and then had promoted a whole dance party there. So do I believe that dance parties are inherently evil? No. And, and that's another thing that's going viral on Twitter is all these girls that are twerking and dancing with their Stanley cups. It's just white girls doing work all the things. <laughs> but uh, the point is that they hollowed out a church and then put this kind of party culture in place of it, which is very, very strange to say the least. Um, I do believe that the Christian prescriptions are generally good for people and generally good for society. Am I Christian myself? Well, no, at least not yet. Um, it's still something that I'm adventuring. And then if you listen to yesterday's episode with Tommy, we talked about that quite a bit. Um, 
but when you see a situation like that, there are a lot of questions to be asked. Okay, so why would you designate a party area in a church? A church is generally recognized by believers and even people outside of that faith to be a very, very sacred and holy ground that's to be respected for worshiping or, you know, religious activities. Once again, I'm very, very ignorant of religion, but um, this has just been a topic that's that, that, that has grown that I've grown a lot of interest in as of lately, um, just because my where my life's going and the people around me and how I see religion is being utilized in their personal lives and seems to be utilized for the best. So this kind of goes back to the white rural rage book where they're kind of breaking down the psychology and the thoughts of white American Trump supporters, which is a very, very specific demographic that I'm actually very, very familiar with because um, to go back to why I want to do this show in particular is because um. Uh, these are the people that I've grown up with. These are the people that I've worked with for the last decade being an automotive technician. So for those people who don't know, I fix cars for a living, turn wrenches, whatever you want to call it. But um, I've been fixing cars since about 2013. And um, obviously the people who work blue collar jobs tend to be people who may vote Republican because they feel like the Republican Party represents their values. Um, and, and if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, then you know that I've talked a lot about this specific demographic because it's a demographic that I'm socially a part of, although when it comes to political beliefs, we don't necessarily align on some things. Um, and obviously the big one being like foreign policy and then um, maybe some cultural prescriptions. Uh, Kyle, good to see you in the chat, brother. Uh, blue collar bros. Yes, exactly that. Um, and I, I meant to make a comment of this earlier, but I'm wearing my Snap-on hoodie because I figured it was appropriate, but I, I did wear it today to work. And this is before I even planned to do this show. This was just kind of impromptu. I wasn't going to do a show tonight, but I just figured out ah, what the hell, why not? Um, I try to always do two shows a week. And um, yeah, I just figured I'd do this one. So um Right, rural rage. You know, maybe I should even pull this up on Google and we can look at this together. White rural rage. I'm sorry, my yinzerism uh, doesn't allow me to pronounce things always perfectly. Uh, share screen here. White rural rage. Google search. And change it to this. White Rural Rage, I believe the title is A Threat to Democracy. Yeah. White rural voters hold the greatest electoral sway of any demographic group in the United States, yet rural communities suffer from poor health care access. Let me go into this just so that way we can get a better idea of what the book's about. And then we're going to listen to a clip that's been going all over um, all over Twitter here. Um, so about White Rural Rage... Um, a searing portrait and damning takedown of America's proudest citizens who are also the least likely to defend its core principles. Um, asterisk, uh, this is an important book that ought to be read by anyone who wants to understand politics in the perilous age of Trump. Um, it's so funny because I've made this point plenty of times before. Um, and, and there's even like a red pill essay on this where if it wasn't the guns, it's going to be weed or Xbox. And I may be paraphrasing that, but basically like if it wasn't Trump, it would be something else because um, the political age that we live in necessitates a more radical perspective because you can't continually tell people, which is what liberals did for the entire Obama administration, that you're racist, xenophobic, homophobic, whatever ism phobic that you can insert here. Um, 
you can't tell a whole voting demographic of people that they're these horrible people because of the way they feel and not expect them to have some kind of reaction to that. And Trump was the manifestation of that reaction. Now as to whether or not he carried out their will is a completely different story. We're not going to cover that here in the podcast, or at least not right at this moment. White rural voters hold the greatest electoral sway of any, any demographic group in the United States, yet rural communities suffer from poor healthcare access, failing infrastructure and severe manufacturing and farming job losses. Rural voters believe our nation has betrayed them and to some degree they're right. In white rural rage, Tom Schaller and Paul Wall explain why rural whites have failed to reap the benefits from their outsized political power and why as a result they are the likely group to abandon democratic norms and traditions their rage stoked daily by republican politicians and the conservative media now pose i'm not pose an ex- ex- existential threat to the united states um it, it's kind of funny that they put it that way but you know this kind of goes to the point that i was just making where if you tell a whole group of people for years and years and years and years as the democrats leftists and liberals and um the overall woke culture did that they're racist and terrible people for just breathing and being white then you can't expect them to be cool with that um and the way that they painted it when they said that you know it's republican politicians um i do agree to that to a degree because i mean this is what political parties do is that they propagandize people and they give them promises and say things that they're probably not going to do in order to get people to vote for them right there's political rhetoric um but you can't leave out what the democrats and the leftists are doing um, particularly joe biden when like the way that people heard and i actually disagreed with people on this when joe biden said you need f-16s and nuclear weapons to take on the government um people took that as says biden's gonna nuke you which i, I think that was a huge straw man that's extrapolating i think that's ridiculous but um you can't ignore the perception that people had of that whole talking point and the perception that people had of that talking point was that biden said he was going to nuke his citizens um and i know this is almost like semantic but it's important nonetheless so to say that it's just republican politicians driving this whole deal is just absolutely silly and ridiculous um, so moving on, Schaller and Waldman show how vulnerable U.S. democracy has become to rural whites who, despite being who, despite legitimate grievances, are increasingly inclined to hold racist and xenophobic be- um, beliefs, to believe conspiracy theories, to accept violence as a legitimate course of political action and to exhibit anti-democratic tendencies, which like w- what the hell does that even mean? Rural white Americans attitude might be de- best described as I love my country, but not our country. Schaller and Waldman argue this phenomenon is the patriot paradox of rural America. The citizens who take such pride in their patriotism are also least likely to defend core American principles by stoking stoking rural rights angers rather than addressing the hard problem they face. Conservative politicians and talking heads create a feedback loop of resentments that are undermining American democracy. Which, when they say undermining democracy, um, it's, it's not that they believe that were under one umbrella generally this means american hegemony right jonna great to see you um unfortunately people jump to the most ridiculous points on both sides yes and and that's this is the point that i always try to drive home to people her point here let me pull that back up just that way people can see it um nuance doesn't play in politics and this is why i don't blow up is because i'm not going to give you the unfiltered pro-Trump side and not going to give you the unfiltered Joe Biden side or even the unfiltered, you know, pro-libertarian party side. I am here to provide an objective analysis from my own perspective. 
I'm here to give you the way that I see things, and then you can deal with that information as you see fit. Um, well, if there are only two sides, one must be good and one must be bad. No, I don't agree with that at all. Uniparty is bad. Um, I agree with that, but I don't agree that um, if it's a binary, then one is necessarily good or bad. Um, both things can be bad, but one can be less bad and one can be, you know, a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I would agree that the Uniparty is bad. Uh, Scholar and Waldman provocatively critique both the structures that permit rural whites' disproportionate influence over American governance and the prospects for creating a pluralist, inclusive democracy that delivers policy solutions that benefit rural communities. They conclude with a political re reimagining that offers a better future for both rural people and the rest of America. So let's get this the hell out of here because I'm, I'm sick of looking at it. <laughs> but basically... Um, I don't see inclusivity as necessarily always a good thing, and I don't think it should be celebrated as a good thing the same way as I don't think equality is necessarily a good thing inherently. And to perhaps push the envelope a little bit further, I don't necessarily see that racism is a bad thing because um, inherently we all are different and we all do have different abilities. Um, if you ask my wife to deadlift 500 pounds, she's not going to be able to do it, and that's okay. If you ask me to deadlift 500 pounds, I'm going to be able to do it. Um, you are going to... If you're going to ask me to go do CPR or go do a 12 lead on a patient in the back of an EMT van, I'm not going to be able to do that. My wife is going to be able to do that. We're not equal in these respects and our abilities to do such things are not equal and that's okay and we need to accept that. Um, and like when you go to the classical definitions of what the left and the right are, um, this is why I consider myself more of a traditional right winger because I reject the idea of equality. I don't believe that everybody's equal because the same man isn't equal to himself on a different day. Um, and that's okay. You don't have to be equal to yourself or to others because we all do have our own individual talents, abilities, and ways of doing things that just are different than one another. And to try and equate them, I just don't ever think lives up to our um, lives up to reality. Um, I love that idea. Um, too much is driven to convince and not to inform. Yeah, exactly. And once again, out of almost 300 episodes out of this podcast, hopefully I've done a good job of informing people and always presenting my bias when I have it, because I do have a bias. We all have biases. But um, the thing that people need to understand is that the people you're listening to have a bias. And when they tell you that they don't, they're lying to you because they want to sell you an agenda. They want to sell you something. They want you to buy into their narrative so that way you support what they're doing. And that's okay if you're honest about it. Um, you know, my bias is that I think people should do flexible dieting and include all food groups under their diet. But is that going to be optimal for most people? I don't know. <laughs> That's for you to decide for me to tell you this is my perspective. This is the information you do with it as you see fit. Um, now when it comes to political stuff, the same deal. I'm going to give you all the foreign policy information. I'm going to do this podcast right now and talk about this stupid book <laughs> and you can decide what to do with it. Maybe you want to pick up the book and read it. Um, I, I probably wouldn't because I have better things to do with my time, but because it's a hot topic right now and there's a lot to be talked about surrounding this, um, I'm here to inform you of my opinion and hopefully it gets you thinking about things through a different perspective. Uh, morals are absolute. Ethics can change in my opinion. I'm not sure if you might have had a little bit of a mistype there, but I agree when you say it's convoluted. And <laughs> yes, uh, Alice, thank you so much for dropping by. Yes, I'm trashing my own family here too. Um, Perhaps if people are ever confused about my stance on rednecks and on whether or not I'm a redneck, my dad wears suspenders and then cuts uh, pumpkins for Halloween with a sawzall.
<laughs> if that's not enough to tell you um, kind of where I stand, then I don't know what the hell is going on. Let me run this commercial while my dogs are barking their heads off downstairs, and we'll get right back into it. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about the show's sponsor. We are now brought to you by Fox and Sons Coffees. You can see right here, I got the Den Blend Dark. Really enjoy that. Um, I've been drinking a lot of their Brazil Honey Prep right here. As you can hear, there's not a lot of beans left in it because I've been drinking it quite a bit. Um, just to tell you a little bit about Fox and Sons, why I support them and why you should too, is that uh, Stephen had started the company up in Michigan to help teach his son about entrepreneurship. Um, I'm all about that. and I do firmly believe that in order to spread liberty in our lifetimes, we have to support those who support similar values as us. And Stephen does support all the same libertarian values that I bring and talk about on the show a lot. So go to foxandsons.com, use code KYLE at checkout to get 15% off of orders, $25 or more. And there's always free shipping whenever you place an order that is more than $37.99. Um, find their coffee absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure you will too. So uh, one more time, go to foxandsons.com, use code KYLE at checkout to get yourself a little discount, let them know I sent you, and support the coffee that supports you. All right, guys, thanks. Back to the show. All right, so I wanted to share this picture, and then we'll move on to the clip after this. So this was a little bit of a straw man that I saw popping up on Twitter when it came to the way that um, the people who consider themselves under the Make America Again, Make America Great Again kind of movement, political belief, basically the Republican Party, the status quo Republican Party now. Um, they, for those listening, basically there's a picture of a couple NPCs and drawn figures, whatever, and basically they're talking about. Um, on the left side there's two people and on the right side there's two people so um three of these pictures have people with make america green make america great again hats on so in the top left corner or corner there is a picture of a dude with an american flag and he has a make america great again hat on he says i love my country and i want to protect it and then on the right um it says yes we must defend the usa's sovereignty and then on the bottom left corner, there's a picture of somebody who's supposed to be a Ukrainian fighter saying, I love my country and want to protect it. And then the bottom right corner, there's a guy with a Make America Great Again hat crying, you know, angrily saying um, racist Nazi extremist. Okay, a lot going on here. So I'm going to leave this on the screen so that we can kind of talk about this a little bit, break it down. So the Republican Party today definitely went a little bit of a change over the last let's say eight years so when trump came onto the scene much to his credit and anybody who knows me knows i am no fan of trump and not because of trump derangement syndrome but for the fact for, for the same reasons that republicans shouldn't like trump i don't like trump but basically like this picture the reason why i'm pulling this up is because like it's not that Republicans think that the Ukrainians are Nazis or racist extremists or anything like that. They just don't want America to be funding this war. And that's really the extent of it. They're not necessarily anti-war. They're anti-funding wars that don't benefit America and that don't pertain to Americans, which um, they're completely right on. We shouldn't want to fund these wars and we shouldn't fund these wars at all because all it does is drag these wars out. It's not in America's interest. And honestly, it's not in Russia or Ukraine's best interest for us to be sending weapons over there and prolonging this war. If anything, if America is to be a player in this whole deal, we should be encouraging peace. We should be meeting discussions between Putin and Zelensky to try and get them both to come to the table and then end the war as soon as possible because our highest priority should be to get people to stop dying. 
<laughs> and this is why Trump played so well to his base and to a lot of people is because in when he did that interview on CNN, I think it was, um, I'll do my Trump impression of everybody. He said, I just want the war to end. I just want people to stop dying. I just want people to stop dying. And um, he was absolutely right about that. Um, I, I think his perspective is right now. Do I think he's actually going to do anything? No, um, because he did help, you know, put some of this in motion. And that's kind of outside the scope of the podcast today. If you listen to the episode I did with Kyle, Connor, and Pat like a week or two ago, um, we discussed that quite a bit. But um, basically, this is uh, the the Republican Party at large today is against sending good money after bad into pointless foreign entanglements. Um, and they see Ukraine as that. Now, when it comes to Israel, there's a little bit of a different story there, right? When it comes to Taiwan, I believe that there's going to be a significantly different story to that. Um, but that's kind of outside of the scope of this meme. Uh, now, when they say Nazi, well, you do have the Azov Battalion, who are literal neo-Nazis that are fighting on the side of Ukraine right now. Um, and one of Putin's stated goals when he first started the war in Ukraine was denazification. Uh, and some of the history there was basically... After the coup in 2014, it, there were parts of the um, Ukrainian military that were literal Nazis. And then in 2022, right before the war broke out, there was shelling going on in the Donetsk and Luhansk areas. Or no, I'm sorry, the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine, who's actually largely ethnically Russian. So that was when the war started. And then obviously, if you want more history and numbers on all this stuff, listen to any episodes I did with Dave DeCamp, Connor Freeman, Kyle Anzalone, um, or the episodes I've done with all those guys on a panel or whatever. But um, basically, I think this is so ridiculous because they're not saying that these people are bad for defending their country. In fact, I'm sure that probably a lot of them would say like they have a right to defend their country. They're basically saying that I don't want... Um, our government to fund this and it's a completely understandable perspective um red cap i love my country and want to protect it <laughs> blue cap racist nazi extremists yeah and, and that's really it um for wanting to close the border down or at least have some more firm immigration norms and not have people just coming across the wide open border um that makes you an extremist and i think it's reasonable to have questions about what's going on at the southern border um, but that's a little bit outside of the scope of the podcast today. Maybe I should do a full podcast on the border stuff because I've dug a little bit into it. I'm not knowledgeable enough, but maybe I'll do that here sometime in the near future. Okay, let me close out my DMs here and let's move this over to here. So this was a video clip that, like I said, is getting quite a bit of traction here. And um, I wanted to discuss it a little bit. And... Yeah, here, let's just let it play. Joining us now, professor of political science at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, Tom Schaller, and journalist and opinion writer, Paul Waldman. Their new book, Out Tomorrow, is entitled White Rural Raid. I just want to say, when I'm looking at that book cover, I know that truck and I know that background. I'm being sarcastic, but... <laughs> but uh, for those listening, basically... Uh, it says white rural rage and uh, a threat to American democracy. And they have a white, what looks like a 90 Chevy pickup with a, uh, you know, vote or uh, make America great again sign on the side of it with American flags hanging out the back of it. So 
age, the threat to American democracy. And Tom, we'll start with you. Uh, why are white rural voters a threat to democracy at this point? You would think as they're the most racist. Oh. Uh, why are white rural voters Sorry. a threat to democracy at this point? You would think, as we pointed out, looking at Joe Biden's background and Donald Trump's, that, that the opposite would be true. Um, it, it's kind of funny on, on its face already how they're kind of shaping this up here. But um, it's Joe Biden has been in the government for 50 years. And if you talk to any Republican about this, this could be one of the first things they criticize Joe Biden for is saying that he's been in government for 50 years and he's done absolutely nothing. And they're absolutely right. Um, so I understand her point, though, when it comes to Trump, because he is a billionaire from New York. But what she's failing to understand here is that Trump at least rhetorically understands the average voter or the average blue collar guy's pleas about the American economy and what's going on today. He's used, as they would say, populism to win the voter over to his side. And that's what she's missing here in her analysis. And also to kind of omit the fact that Joe Biden's been an elected official who's been as corrupt as the day is long, you know, in his entire 50 year career. Um, that, that's like a big, big tidbit to just kind of leave out all this. I mean, we lay out the fourfold interconnected threat that white rural voters pose to the country. First of all, I mean, just to kind of start off with that and just say that, like, oh, we're going to lay out what these voters pose a threat to the country. Like you're calling a whole voting block of people a threat to the country, which on its face, like for the people who promote democracy so much and inclusivity, especially why would you talk that way about a whole group of people because we're supposed to be inclusive right i don't necessarily agree with that but they obviously do you know when you talk about democratic values well then democracy implies that everybody has a say in the way that our country's going and who's elected and we show 30 polls and national studies to demonstrate this we provide the receipts in chapter six they're the most racist xenophobic, anti-immigrant, anti-gay, geodemographic group in the country. Second, they're the most conspiracist group. QAnon support and subscribers, election denialism, COVID denialism, and scientific skepticism. So one thing that they're not doing here is actually laying out why these things are bad. And that's interesting. And that is a question that should be asked. I understand this is like a new section, so they can't really um, elaborate on it too much. But um, the QAnon stuff is interesting. And I'm going to be honest that it is a bigger deal than people would actually have you to believe that are kind of in our camp. But once again, why is that bad? Well, it's bad because they throw out theories that often don't hold water in reality. So that's why that's bad. COVID denialism, though, let's talk about that a little bit. What is inherently bad about COVID denialism and what even is COVID denialism? If you were to say that me there that I'm a COVID denialist because I think that COVID wasn't as bad as um, was initially reported on and that the certain medical treatment from 2020 and 2021 didn't work as promised and largely had, I shouldn't say largely, but had side effects for a lot of people and that lockdowns didn't work. Would that make me a COVID denialist? Um, I'm sure they might even argue that, that I am. And if I am, then I'm a COVID denialist then. But why is that bad? And what is your evidence to support that my belief in that is bad? They don't qualify that. They don't explain it. Um, election denialism. 
Well, why don't you make the point of why the 2020 election was, you know, the safest and most secure election in the world? And look, I am not, uh, I, I've never been convinced that the 2020 election was stolen. Never been convinced of it. Um, and my argument for that, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, I don't believe it was stolen because I think what happened in 2020 is that a lot of normies just saw the way that the country was going in 2020 and said that, oh, well, Trump's in charge. So if we just get Trump out, then things will be will go back to normal. Well, that was a false belief. And clearly things don't go back to normal. We're going to continue down this path of inflation, wars and all the signs of collapsing empire. Obama birtherism. Third, anti-democratic sentiments. So, and once again, I, he's listing all this stuff out, but doesn't describe why it's bad. They don't believe in an independent press, free speech. They're most likely to say the president should be able to act unilaterally without any checks from Congress. Well, every president does this, though, to act unilaterally without, an, a, um, without authority from Congress. Um, if you look at the 2001 AUMF, that's what it was. Well, because they're supposed to declare war, right? But an authorized use of military force is different than declaring war, at least in their eyes. But, you know, Joe Biden has did this. That's what he tried to do with the whole, you know, the mandates back in 2020 and 2021. So I, I, I just it's so frustrating to talk in this kind of low IQ dialectic because it's not it's not getting to the heart of the issue. Because both sides do do this. So I'm um, Tommy and Buck had threw this at me on a podcast that they did together on Tommy's show. And they said that it's not either or, it's both and. Which sounds very, very simple on its face. But when you start to think about um, how that applies to every single situation, especially when it comes to like politics and stuff like that, um, there's a lot to think about there or the courts or the bureaucracy. They're also the most strongly white nationalist and white Christian nationalist. And fourth, they are most likely to excuse or justify violence as an acceptable alternative. Well, and to go back to the whole violence point here that they're talking about, um, how can you, you can't leave out the Black Lives Matter riots, um, Antifa and those groups when you talk about political violence. Um, this is why it's so frustrating for me at least to talk about politics on such a surface level when it comes to stuff like this because um it really is both and it's not just you know one side does this the other side does this so like if we want to get down to brass tacks the way that i feel um when i look at the republican party today they don't stand for their own values that they're supposed to stand for and trump was like the perfect example of this um you know, he, I did a podcast where I covered how he's trying to push for racial diversity training. Um, you know, he celebrated the LGBTQ CIA <laughs> for Trump. He waved that flag. And then obviously all the 2020 and 2021 mandates, he said, yeah, I'm against it, but you should go get it. Um, the, you know, bound the ridiculous money printing in 2020 where republicans are supposed to be the party of financial conservatism um it's a joke and i i just interesting enough that people won't be objective about this but you know to knock on this guy why won't you be objective when your side does the same thing when it comes to the political violence that happened over 2020 why can't we address that
subjective to peaceful public discourse. So you mentioned a lot of negative factors yeah. about about this this demographic um, joining. So that's that. Like I said, this Twitter's been going, or this video's been going all over Twitter. I might have put my headphones on so that way it didn't echo, and it was already playing through my headphones. But um, regardless, it's so weird to me that people analyze things as just like a shallow level, and they don't talk to a deeper level of political analysis or kind of look at things through the whole perspective of the political conversation and that like all these things are really symptoms of a culture that's gone awry and a government that's grown too big and now has to try to clamp down on people who dissent um so i don't know when it comes to just demonizing a whole demographic i i hate this and even when people do it about the left because what is the left um i had nick from the revolutionary blackout network on who is a self-proclaimed communist him and i agreed on a ton of stuff like a lot and when I look at his analysis of Trump and the way that, um, you know, he critiques Trump, I think he, he does a lot of good there. And obviously his critiques of like the current day left, I agree with that as well. Um, when I talk to a lot of Republicans, we agree on a lot of stuff as well. Like, I, I really do think that there is a lot more agreement across the political spectrum when you get outside of the the uniparty, as um, somebody said earlier in the chat. And I hate that term, but it's useful because people know what I'm referring to. Um, people agree a lot more than I think they disagree, but I think people disagree on their figurehead and the way that their ideas are represented. So like Reed Coverdale and I had talked about this a little bit when, when it came to the 2020 election, there really is not a lot of daylight between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, which is what... A lot of people don't seem to understand. They're very, very similar candidates and particularly what they represent. Like a lot of what you can look at when it comes to Joe Biden, like <laughs> a lot of it early on was really just blue MAGA. A Democrat saying, look how great I married America. And now you even see that he's trying to build a border wall. So like a, a lot of this stuff kind of boils down to just like the government's tendency, the government's inertia, which is something that I've coined. And I'm sure somebody probably said it before me, but I, I, I thought that like, this is a useful way to look at it. It's like the government is going to continue doing what it's doing. There's an inertia there because of already established laws, you know, the swamp, if you will, and things are just going to continue to go the way that they're going. So like when people talk about 20, you know, the inflation and everything, well, a lot of that was put in place through, you know, the early 2000s with the dot-com bubble and then lowering interest rates. And you get to the 08 housing market crash, we lower interest rates again and then give everybody a bunch of free money and make people feel good and feel like the economy is doing well. So then from 08 to 2016 is the Obama recovery, right? Well, Trump in 2015 had called out a lot of things rightfully. And I talked about this a little bit last Sunday on the Sunday Coffee episode with Debate is Dead. Um, but basically, he took credit for Trump took credit for the recovery. But this was already kind of like government policy and the government inertia that I'm talking about going forward, as in the recovery was moving on and on and on. And then Trump was pointing out rightfully that this recovery was a fake recovery. And then as soon as he gets in, well, of course, you can't say that the economy's bad on your watch. So you're going to say that everything's great. And fantastic. So he gets in and says, everything's great. Oh, look at the job numbers, the unemployment numbers. They're real, they're very real. I promise they're the greatest I've ever seen. Um, 
he's taking credit for that government inertia. And then in 2019, right before the you know whole deal in 2020, <laughs> what had happened was um, the bubble was coming, even if COVID was going to happen and lockdowns were going to happen or not. And that's what no people want to recognize because like a lot of the yield curves and economic markers were pointing towards recession. COVID was just the pin that pricked the bubble. And it didn't just poke the economic bubble, it poked a lot of different bubbles and exposed how kind of weak and sick we are as a population. And that's why we saw a lot, you know, more higher deaths and stuff like that than some other countries did. Um, and regardless of lockdowns or not, um, things still would have looked generally the same. And that's what no people want to talk about when it comes to like the COVID response. But um, so like recession was coming no matter what, but this was government inertia. So the bubble pops, interest rates to zero, give people a whole bunch of free money because um, we can't lower interest rates lower than zero, which they'd been at for 10 years, essentially. So, you know, give everybody free money instead, and hopefully that band-aids over all the damage that was done. So when you have low interest rates, you're going to have high inflation because you're not reining in the economy and there's lots of, you know, easy money out there, so to speak, because people aren't paying interest on the debt that they're accruing. It's basically the same as cash. So you could just run up debt because people think, okay, well, my spend, you know, it, if I can just put this on the credit card because interest rates are low, then I don't have to worry about paying this out. So what had to happen was interest rates had to go up because you need to rein in some of that inflation and some of that bad debt need to be defaulted on and recycled, you know, whatever needs to happen to kind of rein inflation in. Well, this is why we're feeling the, play, the pain of inflation now is because interest rates are rising and you printed <laughs> since 2000, what, $25 trillion? Actually, probably probably 30 trillion dollars now at this point yeah because i don't know what the national debt's at i'm sure it's like 32 trillion dollars but basically the debt had to be reined in so at a certain point you can only print so much money until shit starts to hit the fan and that's what we're seeing right now so now what's happening is that people are saying well we might need to vote trump back in because biden's not doing the right job <laughs> this is where you just constantly are spinning your wheels nobody wants to talk about real solutions we should need to vote for the other guy to solve the problems um, John, uh, I am more left-leaning, but I fully agree with on what this boils down to. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm glad that you're sticking around and listening, because I, I don't... Th I'm very, very right-leaning for the most part, and people may think that I'm left-leaning because I mostly criticize right-wingers, but these are because of the people... These are the people who are going to listen to me and the people who I have reached with and, you know, social capital with. Good points being made, bro. Um, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you listening. But basically, what a lot of this stuff boils down to and why white rural Americans are a threat to democracy is because um, they realize that they're being screwed by a system that doesn't care for them and that doesn't serve them anymore. And this is what the political elite class doesn't want people to believe and doesn't want them to realize that um, the elite class no longer serves them. And the more people wake up to that truth, the more they're going to talk about it. And the more they talk about it, the more that our elites can no longer hide this reality that we're getting the short end of the stick. So anyways, I think that's all I got today. Um, if you guys don't have any more comments, I always appreciate super chats. <laughs> if you're on YouTube, you could drop me a tip and I appreciate all that stuff. It helps maintain these beautiful red lights that you have going on back behind me that make my face in this environment look so wonderful. 
But um, yeah, so make sure you stick around for a little bit. I'm going to be on with Cognitive Vigilance in about an hour and 15 minutes. They'll be on Facebook and YouTube. Make sure you go over to the YouTube channel for Cognitive Vigilance and subscribe. Um, go to 5 Till Midnight, the show I do on Mondays with Adam Nutter, the guys from Biting the Bullet, and Sam Urban. And that's always a lot of fun. We just talk a lot of crap and just have a good time. And then obviously you can find me here two days a week on In Liberty and Health. Check out A Common Crown as well. Jeez, I, I have like an arm's worth of plugs. But yeah, Common Crown as well. We just released our single last month. And I think it's Total Ripper. And yeah, if you guys don't got anything else, um, I appreciate all you for listening. I appreciate everything you guys do for me. Leave a thumbs up on the way out. And if you were listening on Facebook, thumbs up, share if you will. Um, go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you could find podcasts. And you can find me, my beautiful mug, and all my wonderful guests. So, guys, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, take care.